Welcome out to episode 33 of the Fantasy Front Office podcast for the week of March 19th, 2018. This week, we are going to dive neck deep into the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational and our four squads. Go Rangers. And now, entering your ears, your Fantasy Front Office. Around the front office with me today, we've got a full set of chairs here. Phil, Keith, and Todd, welcome back, guys. It's been a crazy couple weeks with all these drafts going on, but we do have one new story off the top here. Breaking today, Jorge Polanco of Minnesota Twins has been suspended for 80 games. I've been seeing a lot of tweets about guys that were, uh, they waited and waited and waited on shortstop and grabbed him for his upside and it's crashing to the ground on their strategy right now yeah all i gotta say is zero shares of him this year same here agreed yeah i think we're all on that boat and and the the crazy thing is like this really shouldn't shock anybody so in his first 70 games of the season he had a 596 ops he slugged 323 in his last 60 i don't know 61 or 62 games he had 10 home runs and his ops shot up like 270 points almost 300 points you had an 870 ops in the second half like i don't know that that's when or if that had anything to do with what he was suspended for but i mean either way i probably wasn't going to buy into him as like a kind of a continuation of that production yeah hot second half leading to a suspension you can connect your own dots here in that case if somebody went with polanco as a shortstop he's a late late rounder anyway what other options should people be on the lookout for i mean if you're considering polanco you have to be able to consider freddie galvis i guess and they're both going really deep Cattell Marte is another option for the diamondbacks he's going to get everyday reps um what they do at second base maybe uh kind of up in the air or i guess who's the the other person in that mix could be up in the air but he's going to get the lion's share of the bats there and he could have a nice little breakout actually isn't he slated for the starting second base this yeah. season uh ahmed will be taking the the shortstop rep yeah, that's not. I will openly dispute that. I know that, like, even if the team says that Ahmed's going to be the starting shortstop, <laughs> there is zero chance Ahmed is the starting shortstop. Yeah, I just think that's the plan coming out of the gate. But Nick Ahmed is one of the worst hitters in baseball. So Cattell Marte is going to get his bat. So he'll be in there every day, one way or another. All right. So let's get into the nitty gritty on this great fantasy baseball invitational. Uh, these were 28 man rosters with a construction of one catcher, two utility, uh, no dh and nine pitchers that are active no starting pitcher relief pitcher specific slots so rules wise it's a basic roto five by five except with average and saves i guess it's kind of the old classic roto rather than the new age on base percentage saves plus hold kind of thing and a couple other things there was a thousand inning pitch minimum with no maximum for starts or innings uh any other rules that are kind of stand out with this setup uh Uh, one of the things that stuck out to me was that they had an additional utility slot and only nine pitchers so traditional roto as far as i know is nine pitchers with the one utility spot but adding the second utility spot in a 15-man league in my opinion kind of pushed more towards hitting um as far as wanting to accumulate hitting early on well i was gonna say that since it's roto it was five outfielders also so that's something to keep in mind and they have the middle infield 
and the uh, corner infield slots also. And as Keith mentioned, it's a 15-team league, and we're in a field of 13 leagues. So not only is it a league competition to win, but also there is an overall prize amongst the 195 competitors in the Invitational. So did you guys have any specific strategy going in? This isn't the the rules are a little different than how we play in the home league and also in the listener league. So what was your strategy going in? Keith? Well, I didn't want to fall behind in starting pitching. I definitely wanted to get a top 12 third baseman because we all play, you know, on the show, play in pretty deep leagues. And so I know that after after about 12 or 13, as far as third base, it gets a little bit iffy pretty quick. Now, the first 10 or 12 third basemen are absolute studs. Like If you play in a standard league, you don't have to worry about this one bit. But if you're playing in a league with 15, 20 or, or more teams, third base after after about 15 is really ugly. So I wanted to get a a premier third baseman. I didn't want to fall behind in pitching, but I still wanted to kind of really focus on offense because of what I just said as far as the utility. So I actually kind of got trapped a little bit. Um, I missed out on some of the starting pitching that I wanted. I ended up not getting a starter until the eighth round, which was Probably two rounds too far for me, if not more. Wow. Todd? Uh, For me, I really just wanted to stay balanced. Make sure you add high upside outfielders earlier, kind of first 10 rounds of the draft, 12 rounds of the draft. And really just kind of like Keith said, but more lockdown, elite starting pitching, obviously at the minimum, only a thousand innings. I really wanted to make sure I had at least two or three guys that close that are firm in their job and then two, three solid starters at the top of the rotation. Phil? Yeah, I think my uh, plan is pretty much similar to you guys, but you know, I I was looking at it as the tournament itself. Uh, The big tournament is what, if you want to win something, you want to win the whole thing. So uh, I took a lot of risk um i was very comfortable taking risk i actually was planning on taking more risks but got sniped a couple of times but i i wanted to go hitter for the first couple of rounds and then uh heavy with starting pitching right in the middle and get myself a solid lead there uh, with some elite starting pitchers to keep my ratios really low uh, a lot of high strikeout guys i think it was a, a good advantage uh, later in the draft for me um and then you had to round out you know with more hitting right after that uh kind of to balance out the team so i think it worked out well. I kind of went in with the similar strategy that I took into the listener league and a couple of other drafts that I've been in this year with choosing guys that are balanced in stolen bases and home runs. Not too many lopsided guys. Um, If somebody was high on stolen bases, I'd choose a guy that's high on power and low on stolen bases to kind of offset and even out. And really, once I got into it, my whole plan just kind of went out the window. And I started just taking guys that would give me upside and pretty much went for broke with this. Because in a tournament like this, you're either first or you're last. Like, this is Ricky Bobby-esque here. And I guess if these guys pay off, then I may be up there in the final rankings. But if not, it could get ugly. And I took a similar approach to some of my guys. I I basically punted outfield except for getting Acuna in the, the 
sixth round, pick 85 overall. I didn't take another outfielder until um, Eric Thames at pick 246. So I wanted wow. to make sure that I secured my infield. I guess I got Harper at, at six, so that's not true. Um, but after Harper and Acuna, basically my outfield is is a bunch of just taking shots because even though this is a 15-team league, um, I think there's, what, 420 rostered players. Believe it or not, there's going to be like five or six outfielders outside the top four, 420 that are going to return, you know, top 30 outfield potential. So there will still be outfielders on waivers in this league. It's not crazy deep. I mean, I know Phil and I play in leagues that have, you know, a thousand <laughs> players drafted. So, you know, <laughs> trying to find an outfielder in, in a pool of 420 doesn't scare me one bit. So I definitely strategically weighed in on my outfielders knowing that I could probably use some of my fab to to secure somebody who I really believe in. All right, so let's go around the horn. Start off with Phil, then Keith, then Todd. What was your favorite pick on your squad? Let's see. So my favorite pick was probably when Beltre fell to me after I thought that he wasn't going to. So I took Joey Gallo in the ninth round, and I really thought that there was no way that Adrian Beltre was going to come back to me um, with pick 127. But he was certainly sitting there, and I really don't know why everyone's sleeping on him. And I feel like that you guys are going to both talk or all three talk about him as well at some point. Well, he's definitely somebody that we all shared. We kind of swept the board in our four leagues with this pick. I think my favorite pick by far was the Freeman falling to me at pick number 25. Like I started off the draft with Harper at six, which isn't a place where I really want to pick like outside of, you know, the top three or four, maybe it's kind of no man's land to me. The rest like four through five through 10 and honestly kind of meshed together. So I went upside with Harper. I also uh, knew I wanted power. I I had to secure some power early on. So when Freeman fell to me at 25, where I got back-to-back, potentially 40 home run guys, I was stoked. I couldn't believe that, you know, somebody who I consider to be potentially a first-round pick, I mean, he has a clear path to be the number one overall first baseman, in my opinion. Like, Goldschmidt, Freeman, Rizzo, and Votto are all kind of in a group together, in my opinion. They're way, way closer. So Freeman at 25 to me was just outrageous. For me, I think, especially at the time of this draft, obviously we started at March 1st, getting Robbie Ray at pick 43 in the third round. I was super excited about that. Uh, His ADP has been around there too, but uh, the hype of the Humidor getting Ray at 43 and Godley at 103 kind of timed up with the Humidor and the time of the draft. I was happy to get those guys in that spot. And then obviously I got Beltran in ninth round too at pick 133, which for me, I was very happy about. So those are probably the three that stand out for me. I went young in my sixth and seventh round picks at 81 and 100 overall. I was trying to decide between uh, going with Acuna at 81 and all of a sudden I had Raphael Devers still sitting there in the queue right in front of me and when 81 clicked over and it was my turn and the horn sounded, I grabbed Devers and crossed my fingers and prayed that Akuna would make it back to me and he did. Was there a least favorite pick you guys had? You guys already know mine. Oh, please. <laughs> Keith, who's your favorite player in baseball? My favorite player in baseball is Ruben Odor. He is my oh. absolute favorite. He is well, so good. good. It's really Super, good. I, I love I love Odor. I think I think he really has the potential to I'm just kidding. Odor sucks. <laughs> I, I, I feel I feel like that uh, whenever I drafted him at 97 overall, um, it's a good spot for him, to be honest with you. But I wanted Acuna really bad. Like I almost didn't draft uh, Luis Castillo where I did to give me 
me that starting pitching advantage I was talking about earlier. I almost took Acuna, and I probably should have because there were still really good pitchers left, but Acuna was not. Um, he got sniped right in front of me, so that's kind of my least favorite pick of the whole draft. It kind of threw my whole draft plan out of whack because that's where I was planning on taking him the whole time, so that kind of sucked. Keith, what you got? I, I think mine was Alex Wood in the in the eighth round. I put myself in a position with the first seven rounds of going offense, which I, I really wanted to do, but I would have liked to get probably an elite starting pitcher, like somewhere in like the fifth round or sixth round. I actually targeted Paxton and I think Derek Van Riper totally sniped me like two or three <laughs> picks before I was going to go. I'm, I'm probably going to bring that up like 20 times this year. So pretty pissed about that being being taken off the board right before me. But after that, it was kind of ugly and I waited and waited and I just couldn't wait any longer. So I took Alex Wood as my number one pitcher. and I don't even consider him my number one pitcher, but he was falling in ADP. And so I kind of took a shot on him, but he's probably my least favorite pick there and in, in, then round eight but after that i went i think seven of the next eight rounds i went with pitching so um, i kind of reverted back and kind of even things out in the next couple rounds todd who you got for me i took ian desmond in the eighth round and i was probably a little too early he's a guy i'm super high on obviously um the power speed combo is very intriguing at cores and he's fully healthy now but in the eighth round that's probably a little too high for him just looking at the guys went behind him marwin gonzalez uh margo just to name a few so maybe probably ian desmond was a guy for me looking at my roster i don't have one until i get to the 26th round that really jumps out at me as somebody i wasn't happy with i would say everybody else that i reached for i'm happy i have on the squad but in round 26 i grabbed melky cabrera just due to his high average to kind of even out some guys and i was hoping he'd be signed by now and he still doesn't have a team so he would be my disappointing pick as of right now. He might be going to the wastebasket soon. Yeah, uh, I've thought about it already. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, coming up after the break, we are going to dive into our pitching and catching breakdowns for our drafts. Has your fantasy baseball team ever caught the injury bug and it cost you your shot at winning your league's prizes? If so, look no further than Rotoshurance, the leader in fantasy sports insurance. Their insurance coverage can save you your league's investments with policies as low as $1.50 a season. You can even receive 10% off coverage this season by using the promo code FFO in all caps during the month of March. Just visit rotosurance.com. That's R-O-T-O-S-U-R-A-N-C-E.com. Simply select your sport, your league's entry fees, and choose the players you want to insure. Or preemptively insure your first or second round picks pre-draft. Don't lose your money this season due to unforeseen injury and protect your team at rotosurance.com. Again, your code to secure 10% off during the month of March is all caps F. F-F-O. And we're back diving into our pitching and catching breakdowns. Phil, what is your starting pitching 
squad look like? My starting pitching, I did pretty well. I have a pretty elite upside in front of the rotation guys. I start off with Robbie Ray. Huge upside. Everybody knows about it. Um, the Humidor, all that good stuff. We talked about him plenty. You Darvish is the guy that coming over to the National League. I think that he's going to strike out a lot more guys, as crazy as it sounds. So he might end up in the 240-250 range if he can get up to close to 200 innings again. Luis Castillo is another guy that should strike out over 200 guys this year, um, all with you know low ratios. So that's the the beginning of my staff. And then I didn't take another one for quite a while. And I have some hit or miss guys is what I'll call them, I suppose. Gio Gonzalez is one uh, that he just kept falling. And I didn't really want to take him, but way, way, way late in the draft. I forget exactly where it was, but I ended up taking him. Um, it's kind of regrettable. Hunjin Ryu is another guy. Uh, I think that he can actually perform a little bit better as long as he can hold that rotation spot down. And then CC Sabathia had a resurgence last year. I really believe in what he was doing. Um, I know it sounds crazy, but I think that he's just a different pitcher. He thinks different. He doesn't throw the ball as hard, so he's just a crafty lefty now. So essentially, that's my uh, my starting staff. And then I had a couple hit or miss as far as uh, relief pitchers as well. Shane Green hold uh, should probably hold the uh, Detroit job down for a little while. Carl Edwards might have a shot at it at some point, but he'd probably get 100 strikeouts. Uh, Nishek probably looks like the the closer at this point. Robertson also could get me 100 strikeouts. Um, and then the last guy, Keona Kella. He's not coming in as the, the closer, I don't believe, but I think he should at some point take over that job. And then what's funny is, is uh, Luke Roy... I, I drafted him as one of my last picks, and I think I was the last person to draft a catcher, and he was just sitting there. The day that he signed, I was on the clock 10 minutes later, so <laughs> I was I was pretty <laughs> pretty excited about that. So he ended up being my catcher for the, uh, the league. Hopefully he has a little resurgence. If not, there's a couple of guys on waivers that I'm happy to start. All right, Keith, what does your pitching staff look like? Well, we just talked about a second ago how I wasn't in love with my first pitcher taken in Alex Wood. But honestly, after that, I really liked the squad that I put together pretty quickly. So um, I took Alex Wood in the eighth round, went to Adrian Beltre the round after that because um, I, I had to take him at, you know, 126 overall. But right after that, I, I went back to addressing, you know, the, the starting pitching gap that I had created in the first few rounds. Um, I went with Rich Hill, somebody who I'm extremely high on this year, has been really well in the games that he has pitched. We know about his, you know, blisters and stuff like that. But man, if he stays healthy, um, the upside there is, is is really big. So that was one that I was happy with. Immediately after that, I picked John Gray in the next round and then Charlie Morton and then Danny Salazar. Um, so all guys who have really elite level strikeout potential if they if things kind of click. So target wise, I got the guys that I wanted. I know Salazar is a risk. I know, you know, John Gray is a risk. Even Charlie Morton's a risk. But um, I definitely wanted to go with high upside K potential with my rotation. Um, after that, um, I went for elite level relievers um, and I got value in them because they weren't currently closing. So I went with Andrew Miller at 205 overall, which I think was one of the better buys on him in the Invitational. And then after that, I went with Dylan Batances at, at 216. Uh, and then back to Drew Pomerantz after that again, kind of a risky pick, but um, good K potential upside. 
Sweet. What's nasty about your rotation is is that you got the the two best relief pitchers that aren't closing right now that probably both should be closing. So, I mean, at some point, if those guys stumble, you're going to have a boatload of saves just coming out of nowhere. And and that was kind of my – here was another kind of strategy thing for me. Like I, I have a hard time investing in, in closers in this league for a few reasons. Um, and I honestly – I wish I would have gotten a guy before then, but it just kind of happened that I had built up offense and then really had to recover in in SP and I didn't have an opportunity so um, part of it was strategy but part of it just kind of fell into my lap this way but yeah Dylan Batansis and Andrew Miller may be the two best relievers in baseball like and I know that's kind of a bold take on Batansis um, but I'm okay kind of walking in that line but we drafted super early in this league we still have as it stands today <laughs> two weeks before right. before anything happens so if by some stretch of the imagination one of those guys goes down that are ahead of them boom I have essentially the best closer in baseball like instantly yeah and so I kind of built in not wanting to invest where you're drafting in a league almost 30 days before any real baseball happens. I didn't really want to invest in something that risky. So, yeah, definitely a strategy for me was taking high elite level arms that maybe should be in the position like you were saying, Phil, but aren't currently in that position. Yeah, that, that was my thoughts with uh, Carl Edwards Jr. At some point, if, if anything happens to Maurer or whatever, I, I think it's easy that he's going to take that role. Yep, he was somebody I targeted um, and actually didn't end up with, but he was another one of the, the guys that I kind of targeted in that role. All right, Todd, what's your rotation look like? You've given us a couple names. Yeah, so I already give you guys a couple. Uh, at pick 13 overall, I took Corey Kluber. Just wanted to lock down the ace. Picking late in this draft, I definitely I thought probably the best way to go, get a, a firm number one starter. As I said earlier, I took Ray in the third, Godley in the eighth, and I, I felt like I had a pretty good uh, pitching staff at that point, so I went a little hitter-heavy from there on. Um, in the 12th round, I took Aaron Sanchez. That's a guy I'm really high on. He's 2016 and 30 starts. He had a three-flat ERA, and uh, he just has elite stuff. Battled blisters last year, but I'm really, really high on Aaron Sanchez. And then just a couple flyers to fill out the rotation. I got Drew Pomeroz fell super late in this draft, um, probably due to kind of the elbow discovery he's having, but he should be back soon i took tyler chatwood just because i really like his road career right? and um being in rotation for the cubs i'm really excited about that him getting a full run and then chad cole and mike leak were just my last two last three rounds just took a flyer on those guys but um mainly went pretty heavy with kluber and ray one in the first round one in the third round and then from there on hopefully those two anchor it and then from the closer position in the fifth round I took Corey knable one to lock down one elite closer and then I added Blake Trinan and uh, Cam Bedrosen, kind of in the middle rounds. Guys are going to close. Um, good upside, younger guys. And then in the fourth or third to last round, I took Michael Givens, just a high strikeout reliever. Nice. So that was pretty much my um, my pitching staff. Yeah, I really like the Aaron Sanchez pick there. He was somebody who um, I looked into recently. And yeah, three flat ERA in 2016. Yeah. He was, I think, like the I don't know, like the twelfth best pitcher. Um, in in fantasy that year, I actually owned him in, in one of the leagues that we share in together. Um, but I think he was like seventh or eighth best in the AL Cy Young. So I mean, like, yeah, he's kind of a forgotten player at this point. And the only thing wrong with him, it's not mechanical, it's not an elbow, it's not a shoulder. Like, it was basically just his blisters. Which, I mean, that, I, the same reason that I'm investing in Rich Hill is the same reason that you're investing in Aaron Sanchez. I believe yeah. is because if for some reason that goes away, like. The expectation is for them both to return to, you know, just full health and to, to go back to dominating like they were before. Yeah, and Sanchez is a guy, just elite stuff. He 
throws 96, 97 with a heavy sinker, and he's got a big curveball. So uh, his strikeout rate should rise, I think, as he continues to develop. He is a guy who tries to get a lot of grounders like Stroman, but his stuff's just a lot better in 6'5", and there's a lot to dream on with Aaron Sanchez. I like it. All right. I went hitter heavy my first two rounds, and then I grabbed a pair of aces. 40th overall, Justin Verlander which may be a little high by some people's standards, but he was pretty much the ace available there. Um, And then 51 overall, on the backside of the turn, I grabbed Carlos Martinez, who has been electric the last year. And then I filled out my rotation after pick 100. Uh, Went Clevenger, high upside. Uh, Jay Happ. He is pretty much just a steady rock. He's an unsexy pick, but he's going to get you 190, 200 innings with mid three ERA or lower and a low enough whip to not hurt you, but he'll be there and pitch every fifth day. Um, And then Patrick Corbin rounds out my starting rotation. We've documented enough on previous shows where his second half was just amazing for him and has returned him back to his 2014-2013 standard where he was lighting things up and he went heavy into his slider and I hope that continues because that jumped his strikeout percentage. So on the relief side, I had some issues, still have some issues. I think I have one quote unquote certified closer in Joaquin Soria. He's pretty much the guy there in Chicago, unless they decide to put Nate Jones into that role. And then from there, it's a question mark with Archie Bradley. Will he or won't he? And I also went Batances. Then I went with two stud guys that are going to help me with ratios and uh, strikeouts with Nishek and Ciszek and rounding out my relief pitchers with a guy that's going to probably put up Andrew Miller type numbers as he did last year in a relief role, Josh Hader uh, for the Brewers. And potentially if they move him to a starter, I've got another starter. Uh, But that's my rotation uh, Catching-wise, I know Phil said he had Lucroy. Where do you guys sit with your catchers? Keith, Todd? I honestly went into this thing like no way was I going to draft a catcher. <laughs> like I, I, there's just no point really because, again, talking about 15-man league, like there's 30 catchers in baseball, right? Like last time I, I checked, there's only going to be 15 drafted in this league or 15 that should be drafted in this league. If you're the person that has two catchers, and I hope you guys don't, but if you're somebody that drafted in this format and you own two catchers on your team where we have a, a very small bench, like give up your team right now. Give it to somebody else like because that's that's horrible. But I think someone has that in the league. Jeremy, do you have two catchers? That would be me. All right. No, we're, we're taking away hosting duties from Jeremy the rest of the <laughs> podcast. But Mike Zunino fell far enough to me. It was a pick 336. And like I was kind of – I was perusing the you know the the ADP and where he has been gone in other leagues and it was like the 200s so I was like fine I'll try to get a little bit of an advantage I'm not necessarily like a Mike Zunino guy but I own half of the Seattle offense at this point with (laughs) Gordon Nelson Cruz Gene Segura and I tried to get Paxton so I might as well you know make it a a a bunch and grab uh, Zunino as well so not really strategic and honestly like who cares because None of these catchers are going to be worth a, a crap anyways, because besides, you know, the number one overall guy in 
if you have to pick him, you're you're passing up on a lot of a lot of value, a lot of value bats anyways. So sorry, Jeremy. Todd, where <laughs> did you fall? I'll I'll explain myself here in a minute. So um, my name is Todd, and I also drafted two catchers. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> Yes. Get me out of here. Get me, get me out of here. Todd, which which pair did you grab? So at 283 and 288, I took Barnes and Grandall. And my thinking is... Nice. That makes sense. That, that's I like nice. having stats coming from the catcher position every day. Instead of your catcher just playing 110 games, I'm going to get a full season of catching stats. And also Barnes plays second base. So you kind of... It's not a true two-catcher deal, but... I just like every day you're going to have good production on the catcher position and Barnes can play second. And at 283 and 288, it was them or a really bad starting pitcher. So I went ahead and went with Barnes and Grindall. No, that makes sense. And you, I think you were the one that kind of turned me on to that strategy, Todd. You you took, I think, those two in like the podcast league or something that we drafted. And after that, I think in maybe the Fantrax uh, staff league, I think I did the same thing. So that's not, I mean, I kind of, I kind of dig that approach. So that's not yeah, too bad. Todd actually took the approach that I ended up taking in the invitational with Suzuki and flowers of the Braves um, of all catchers that are handcuffed together combined. They had the best batting average clearly of all catchers they batted 282 with an on-base percentage of 365 uh you can't count on any stolen bases from the catcher position they combined for 99 rbi 31 home runs and 79 runs i pretty good it, it got deep enough into the draft that i just said you know this is my best option at catcher because somebody had already grabbed barnes so there really wasn't an option to grab both of them. Um, and at pick, let's see, where did I end up grabbing them? Uh, 340 and 370. Uh, those guys should put up nice numbers. And even if Flowers ends up taking the majority of at-bats, Suzuki's expendable at that point. Yep. Uh, it's, it's Flowers' job to lose, and I can definitely see him repeating and putting up a full season worth of numbers this year so i mean and zunino for me is gonna is gonna give at least like a 190 batting average so there's that to look forward to <laughs> he's the road nano door of catchers he, he honestly is. i didn't want to draft him like i just at that point i was like who cares like so I, I, and after that i ended up taking like complete flyers so it's not like that late in the draft at pick three you know 370 plus like you're not getting any studs i mean you're getting either you know everybody's got some sort of issue at that point so all right coming up after the break we're going to break down our infield Rotoware.com. Rotoware. Big shout out to the Rotoware uh, company. It's so goddamn comfortable. Can't recommend them enough, man. Yeah. High quality t-shirts. Shout out to Rotoware.com. You see me rocking the shirts on the videos and stuff like that. Where'd you get that? Rotoware. That is courtesy of Rotoware. It's just, it's just the highest quality of shirts. Yeah, I really like the baseball designs you got here. The shirt is beautiful. Everybody who I've talked to who has the shirt basically says they can't believe how good the quality is. Yeah, Kenneth, I've seen you getting a lot of love. You said you've been only running for a little over a month. I Yes, guys are tweeting out shirts. I'm seeing fantasy personalities everywhere digging this guy's shirt. I love the Run DFS shirt. It comes with baseball cards with all the different shirts on it. Rotoware on Twitter. Check out rotoware.com. Oh my God, is this, is this shirt making love to me right now? Like, what's going on? I love the shirt. Thank you for rejoining us. We are back with our infield breakdowns. 
Phil, who'd you grab at first base? Uh, my first pick, I grabbed Goldie. He uh, fell to me a little bit past where I thought at uh, pick seven. He was actually the guy I had circled on my draft sheet um, as my number one guy that I wanted to fall. And then my second round pick, I went back to back uh, <laughs> first baseman and, and took Cody Bollinger. So kind of drained that pool a little bit. Nice. Keith? Um, I went with Freddie Freeman. We talked about him and the value that I think uh, he provides at pick number 25. Like one of the, the most exciting picks for me. I, I was stoked that he fell that far. Todd, who'd you grab? So for me, I got Reese Hoskins in the fourth round, and then I also got Desmond in the eighth. So I have two guys who can play first base or outfield. Yeah, those are the two first base ones I got. Nice. I'm kind of stacked at first base. At 141 overall, I reached about 20 picks and grabbed Josh Bell. One of Keith's guys, he's got upside and high average. You got to have that to offset some other guys in this uh, this tournament. So also grabbed Matt Olson at 111 and a little later grabbed Jose Martinez, who is eligible first corner and in the outfield. Uh, second base, what are you looking at there, Todd? So I kind of waited really long on second base. I took Jason Kipnis in the 16th round. I took uh, Jason Kipnis, and then I took Dustin Pedroia off my last pick. So um, I have some good shortstops. We'll get to that in a second. But second base was kind of a position I punted and just took them late in the draft. Keith, who you got? So I was, again, I was pretty happy with this pick here. Uh, Gordon fell to me at 36 overall after getting Freeman. Um, so I, I think I started the draft with a pretty high like batting average and a pretty good balance between the power that Harper provides, the power that Freeman provides, and then getting D. Gordon, you know, who's a essentially led the league in steals every season that he's had more than I think a hundred games played or something like that. But so basically the, the suspension shortened season is the only year he's been in the major leagues that he hasn't led the league in steals. So I can pretty much pencil in and bank on getting those steals from D Gordon. And in a league like this, I don't really have to worry about steals the rest of the way. Solid. Phil, who you got? I ended with Rugnet Ordor. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was not by design, but he does have, you know, 30 home run upside, uh, 20 stolen base upside. I don't think he's going to hit right at 200 again. I think he's more of a 240, 250 hitter, which is much more for my liking if he does that this year. I agree with Keith 100%, though, with D. Gordon was a guy that I was targeting, but he just didn't go in the right spot for me. But Keith was at the beginning of the season saying that he was not on board with D. Gordon, so... <laughs> You are you are welcome, good sir. Hundred percent. Phil opened my eyes, and now I I uh, see clearly n- now. The rain is gone. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Yeah, but especially in this like where batting average is, is a, a category because he's an elite hitter in three categories, and and that's pretty awesome. Uh, so Odor can also be you know a producer in four of the five categories. So that's really what I'm hoping to see this year. Um, something where he doesn't drain my batting average at the same time, though. Nice. I waited and waited and waited and waited, and finally at pick three ten, I filled in second base with Starlin Castro. Hopefully. It doesn't ding him too bad going to Miami. His power numbers will fall a bit, but hopefully he'll be able to hit some additional doubles, triples, uh, find the gaps, and keep a decently high batting average. 
Uh, shortstop. Phil, where are you sitting with your shortstop? My shortstop is Andrelton Simmons, but really it was Marwin Gonzalez. I just threw him in the outfield later on because Simmons was sitting there. So I have a couple of guys that can fill in that spot. I really love the Marwin Gonzalez pick. He gives me, especially in a league that you only have a really short bench like we do, um, it, it gives you a lot of versatility as far as where you're going to put him or if someone gets injured. I don't have to worry about I have to pick up a shortstop. I would only have to pick up an outfielder or second baseman or basically whatever else is out there producing solid Keith. So I went with Gene Segura, which is, you know, if really no secret to anybody that's kind of followed me the last couple of years, I've always been kind of on the Gene Segura bandwagon. Um, I probably reached for him a little bit, but he was the last shortstop of what I consider to be, you know, the somewhat elite shortstops after that at Xander Bogarts, which I mean, uh, it has his issues and a couple other guys. So getting Segura here was a little bit of a reach for me, but it was a priority to kind of solidify my middle infield and then to really be able to take shots on outfield kind of later on in the draft. Um, and to this point, I kind of averaged out my first five picks, which were Harper, Freeman, Gordon, Nelson Cruz, and Gene Segura. And I ran the numbers on those five, and the averages for those five players was was freakish. It was like a 30-30 player each or 25-25 each with a 302 batting average for those five players. So I had given myself a really strong base in all of my hitting categories. And from then on, I could kind of take shots like I did with Ronald Acuna, uh, Yohan Moncada, and so on and so forth. All right, Todd, where do you sit on shortstop? So in the second round, 18th pick overall, I took Francisco Lindor. I uh, really wanted to get a middle infielder early, lock down the position, and then kind of wait for the rest of it. So I also got Simmons in the 16th round. So my middle infield's anchored by Lindor, and then also have Kipnis and Simmons, and then hopefully Pejora comes back soon. I also went Lindor at 21 overall. He fell to me, and I couldn't pass him up. Uh, affects you pretty much across the board in all your hitting categories. So really just started off with a solid base there. As for middle infield and corner infielders, I ended up with uh, Devers, Olsen Martinez, and Jose Reyes. Sneakily had a really effective year last year, at least on the fantasy side. He affected a lot of categories with decent numbers, and he's a sneaky guy having versatility everywhere except for catching and pitching. And also, I jumped ahead about 100 picks and grabbed Nick Senzel, third baseman by trade, been working out at second and short in spring training, and hopefully after April 13th, he makes his way to the majors. Uh, Todd, any other uh, corner, middle infielders? I think you mentioned them all. Yeah, just um, at third base, I was debating between Travis Shaw and Justin Turner, and I decided to go Shaw, and luckily, breaking news, Justin Turner left today's game after getting hit in the hand by a pitch, and he's getting x-rays right now. So, oh, man. Oh. That's not good. Yeah, not so okay I know that is not a a uh, situation where I have zero shares. I think I have like all the shares. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Uh, and I believe we have him in the Battle of the Podcast League as well. So we'll have to look into some uh, roster moves here. Um, <laughs> as as you brought up third base, there uh, we all have a share of Adrian Beltre. Just reiterating, do you guys have any other third baseman? 
corner infielders. Yeah, I have Joey Gallo. Um, the huge power upside um, runs and then chips in some stolen bases. I also think that he's not going to hit 200 again this year. Um, maybe 230, 240. Um, not going to put a board bet on it though, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got um, I got bold predictions that are coming out tomorrow. You'll have to wait and see what my Joey Gallo prediction is. There we go. 300 hitter. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> 75 homers. Right. 75 home runs. Right. Wow. Um, but but Joey Gallo was one of the guys that I really wanted to target in the draft, and I ended up getting him. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman, also a guy that I have no idea why people are letting him fall so late. Um, he was clearly hurt for the couple of years that he was miserable, and he came back and just destroyed last year and says that he felt as good as he did before the injury. I believe him because he's hitting the way that he was hitting before the injury. So hopefully he keeps that up and stays on the field. And I think that uh be a big year from him. I had a few other guys as far as middle infield and corner goes. Um, I went with Moncada right after um, I picked Acuna at pick number 85. Um, that's a pairing that I've had since basically December, right around that same area. Just really high upside guys that, I don't really love who's going in the range between like 80 and 110. So I might as well reach for guys who I, I believe in and can have like elite level upside. Um, also, like you guys, I went Beltre. Um, but then I also have Senzel like you do, Jeremy. And I have Chris Davis, who I was pretty excited to take at pick 276. Like he was awful last year. And not just his production, his underlining numbers were pretty awful. But if you look at the years prior to that, he's been an elite level power hitter and if something kind of snaps back in for him he's one of a few players in baseball that has 40 plus home run potential so taking a flyer on a guy like that was easy uh easy decision for me and with uh as juiced as these balls are he may be one of the guys that's got actual 50 homer potential uh yeah he's got to make contact first so he's well yeah but but, i mean if, if if you can believe in a guy like matt olson to do what Matt Olson did last year where he hit, you know, 870 home runs and 12 <laughs> at-bats or something stupid. I mean, why can't Chris Davis do the same thing that Matt Olson did? I mean, they're they're essentially very similar players just on opposite sides of the recency bias. All right, coming up after the break, we are going to get into our outfields and uh, most of us have covered the bench, but we'll uh, we'll see what's left. Hey everybody, it's me, Joe Pizzapia. Baseball is back, and so is the Fantasy Baseball Black Book 2018 edition. This year, I've got Paul Spore doing the starting pitching chapter. I've got Jake Seeley doing outfield profiles. I've got Sammy Reed doing DFS. we got championships waiting for you. Go get it right now, the Fantasy Baseball Black Book 2018, available on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle and on iTunes, because once you go Black Book, well, you know the rest. All right, back into it here, and we are diving into the outfield and bench breakdown. Guys, what does your outfield look like, starting off with Todd? So for me, like I said before, I took uh, Hoskins and Desmond, 4-8, and then I took a guy I'm obviously super high on, Gregory Polanco, um, 2018 Triple Crown winner. <laughs> and <laughs> Bold predictions. <laughs> But um, in the 13th round, I took Avisel Garcia. Um, he's a guy I'm surprised he's there. He hit 330 last year, only 19 homers, but still he hit 330. About a thumb injury to second half, too. So 
Uh, Aaron Hicks, 16th round, and then I took Austin Hayes, one of the Orioles' top prospects, hit uh, 32 homers in the Myers last year, 31. So I'm a little high on him. He should be up, hopefully, after the Super 2 cutoff. And then just in the last couple of rounds, took uh, Hernan Perez just because he's eligible to a couple of positions, and I heard he might play second, too. And then my final pick was Hunter Pence just because it was my second to last pick of the draft, and I just wanted a guy I know is going to get a bat if healthy. So that's pretty much my outfield. Um, probably could have used one more solid everyday starter, but I'm pretty happy with it. All right, Phil, where does your outfield sit? My outfield actually looks pretty decent for how I drafted. Um, so I started off with Cody Bollinger in the second round. He actually shifted to the outfield for me. Um, the next pick that I had for outfielder was AJ Pollock. Um, I really like his upside as well. I just hope that, again, he can stay healthy. I have that trend going on in my entire team, basically. Um, Marwin Gonzalez is a guy that we talked about earlier. just love his positional flexibility. Um, Delano DeShields is a very late source of steals um, and runs scored with a decent batting average. In a league like this, he's kind of like Billy Hamilton light, in my opinion. But you get him uh, maybe 100, round, or 100 picks later. Uh, and the next guy is Matt Joyce, who I believe I just picked up off of waivers a little bit ago because Michael Conforto is the guy I actually want to start, but he's going to start the season injured. Um, so that's going to be my outfield setup. Uh, set and I also have Nick Senzel waiting on the bench until um, he gets called up to play probably utility at this point. Keith, where and do you fall? I have a couple of picks that you guys have too. I also grabbed Hayes. Um, again, kind of continuing my theme of taking shots in the outfield later on, I waited to fill out my outfield till, till pretty late in the draft. So I ended up with guys like Eric, Th- Eric Thames, um, Hunter Renfro, Austin Hayes. Um, I ended up getting Carlos Gonzalez like, you know, 20 minutes after he was picked up by <laughs> the Rockies. Right. So I was pretty happy with that, like kind of a late flyerish type deal. But, um, I have, uh, kind of anchoring down my outfield. I have Harper, obviously with my number one overall pick. And then I have uh, banking on, you know, Ronald Acuna to to come and produce as my second outfielder. So I'm going to end up probably either trading for outfield depth or, you know, acquiring off waivers. But uh, for right now, it's probably one of my weaker spots, but something I'm comfortable with kind of playing in season with. My outfield, I had my number one outfielder fall to me at number 10. Surprisingly, Mookie Betts. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) How did you get Betts at 10? I don't remember exactly how it all worked out but he just kept falling and falling and falling i almost had goldie fall to me i think he went eighth or ninth in my league so like i was looking for goldie off the top but mookie Betts just kept falling and fell into my lap and i couldn't pass him up and from there i grabbed domingo santana at 70 which is probably a reach pertaining to his uh, i guess playing time like the crowded outfield they have there don't know exactly who's going to get what share but he's a talented kid skills are going to win out i mean he's only 27 28 i think and he just hit 30 home runs so they're going to find a way to get that bat in the lineup or they're going to trade him to somebody who will put his bat in the lineup every day from there i went ronald acuna then at pick 160 i grabbed delino de shields and my last outfielder is jesse winker and it's pretty much an upside type outfield and on my bench i've got melky cabrera if he ever signs or i find another outfielder Lots of options, a little bit of flexibility all around the diamond, guys that can play in, field, outfield, 
wherever I need him to. Yeah, I definitely like your Winker pick there as your last outfielder. Um, he's going to bat right in front of Joey Votto, which can't hurt anybody to begin with. <laughs> no. And if you combine that with his plate approach um, and the fact that I think he's going to grow into some power, some natural power, um, his home ballpark is nice. I mean, Winker is a great pick for somebody in this league. I think two of you guys ended up with the Shields, who is penciled in right now to lead off for the Rangers. Yeah. And could easily you know, lead the league in steals or come very close if he gets every day at bat. So those two picks I really like from you guys. Yeah, I had a lot of Diamondbacks hitters and a lot of uh, Rangers hitters, it seemed like. So my team is kind of stacked in the DFS sense almost. Um, and I'm okay with that because, you know, once they have, especially um, in, in Texas, they have that awesome ballpark where once it heats up a little bit, there's going to be scoring oh, yeah. runs left and right. A um, little scared about the humidor, but, you know, it's okay because Pollock is more about stealing bases than average. And, and I just think Goldschmidt's one of the best hitters. Uh, I don't want to burst your bubble here, Phil. Uh-oh. Uh, there were reports today about Pollock. He injured his elbow again. No, 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 no. no. Getting up off the ground. Yeah. (laughs) He was opening his car door and apparently his entire arm burst into flames. So he's out. Spontaneous combustion. He's just, it's over. There are reports he's looking into launch angle this year. Why the hell would he do that? Ah. I don't know. With the, with this... the humidor, does he understand physics? No, apparently not. <laughs> uh, same with Jeff Mathis, the buck 82 hitter. He's looking to lift the ball as well. So. Yeah, but I don't think he's going to play ever. He's uh, going he, to get at least not. 32 games. He's going to catch Granky every start. Yeah, that's miserable. But yeah, that, that is really bad news for me then. Um, because yeah. if Pollock is going to try to hit fly balls when... You guys have seen the movie Major League, right? Oh, yeah. Willie Mays Hayes, he, he hits him on the air. He has to do push-ups. He hits him on the ground. He gets base hits and steals bases. I want him to hit it on the ground. Not necessarily on the ground, yeah. but like not in the air. Let's go with that one. Just keep the same approach he's had. It's been working when he's healthy. When he's healthy, man, he's been an elite hitter as far as production for fantasy baseball is concerned. Um, man, I just really that baffles me if it's if he if he really is messing with his. Oh man, that you guys just hurt my brain. I don't yeah. think I can do this anymore. <laughs> All right, so this is too depressing. So we've rolled through our whole rosters. Uh, the guys over at Friends with Fantasy Benefits—they've had this projection sheet that's been uh, compiling everybody's picks and doing some projected standings overall. Uh, the highest team on our podcast is Todd at 105 overall. That's what's up, and he's projected to finish. 10th out of 15 in his league. That's not what's up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next up, we have Keith that's projected at 135 overall, projected to finish 9th in his league. Keith has a really easy league, so that's pretty much proven right there. All right, so let me let me just jump in and explain why I'm projected ninth and why I'm going to win that league. So I'm projected ninth because I don't have any saves. So as soon as I acquire some saves... I will shoot up the rankings. Um, the other reason I don't have a higher rank is because I own Kyle Tucker. Right. I own Ronald Acuna. Acuna. Yeah. And I own Nick Senzel. Yeah. Only one of those guys really needs to hit in order to return the value that I invested. At least if Kyle Tucker ends up getting 300 at-bats, um, that pays for that pick instantly. If 
Nick Sanzel gets 300 to 400 bats, it probably pays for that pick. So those guys are going to acquire zero stats. They're not going to help me in this type of projected standings. But if history repeats itself, where guys like Aaron Judge or Cody Bellinger translate from, you know, double A to triple A to being potentially MVP candidates, um, I think it's going to help my team, you know, quite a bit overcome the gap in, in standings or projections. All right. Next up, we've got Phil projected at 151 out of 195. That's not great. No, uh, you're projected 12th in your league. Greater. Oh, just just wait. I'm projected at 166 overall. And in League 4, I'm projected to be 14th. That's the not greaterest. Who's 15th? Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd have to look, actually. Um, no, we don't need to throw like negative shade on, on yeah, somebody Yeah, we're, we're not that kind of podcast. Uh, not until we get it into discussing the Battle of the Podcast League, then we're going to throw some shade. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got four major contributors that are projected to get less than 250 at-bats. That's just based off the projections. Jesse Winker is only projected to get 287. That's crazy talk. Uh, like, that's absolutely crazy talk. Jose Martinez only projected for 210. I don't think that's crazy. I do. There's a lot of at-bats to go around for Jose Martinez to get any. He's their second-best hitter. <laughs> Right. I don't know if that's true either, but okay. Third best hitter? Like who? who's, okay. So uh, aside from Carpenter and, well, Ozuna and Fam. Well, Ozuna and Fam right off the bat. And then I would say Carpenter is, is definitely a better hitter um, just because you see all the really great matchups with Jose Martinez and they put him in great situations and then he succeeds in those situations. But if they put him in every day, like they do for Carpenter, you know, day in and day out, and he's the, the long haul, the grind through the whole season, I just don't think we're going to get at the same thing out of them yeah i i don't know bill hates my players <laughs> <laughs> the return volley also have nick senzel only uh projected for 185 at bats i'll take the over on all all three of those like e- easily uh, like yeah senzel's the worst that's the thing with projections though is like they don't they don't have the they just pick a number basically there's nothing in the system that liter- that would tell them that he's going to be up in two weeks or three weeks or whatever uh, they can't build that in. They just pick a number. I, I, I firmly believe that as far as for prospects go. But like hold people, on, people that are people that are established that have been around for a few years. I feel like the projections have an idea of whether they're. Keith doesn't believe in this, but injuries are uh, the thing that you can predict. Injuries, future injuries, is is previous injuries. Um, that's the number one indicating uh, predictor as far as anybody that I've ever seen write something about it um, with science that has been attached to it. But anyways, science, science is uh, not a real film. Science is but real. to counterpoint yeah, that some, here, Phil, to counter that, Phil, they have Ronald Lacuna point uh, projected for 159 games, 538 at bats. See, how does that make sense? Like, how does how does Nick Senzel? who has clear path to the major leagues also just, it doesn't make sense to me. And and see, this is why I'm saying a lot of the projections are not really going to help out. Uh, Here's another egregious one. That's going to help all of us. Um, Adrian Beltre, we projected for 120 games. Ouch. Like that's fair. That's fair. Except for when you consider the fact that before last year's injury, he averaged 157 games a year for the previous five seasons. Yeah, he's, or something. He's one of the or, or most consistent like, hitters over the last decade. Yeah. Like if you if you just completely forget about last year, which I know you can't. 
But like, if you say, okay, last year was, you know, was a freak or whatever it was, the previous five years, you can't say that he's injury plagued like some other players. Like before that, he had been a model of consistency both on the field of production and in the lineup. So that's just a cop out. That's basically what we see where we see players being, you know, ranked around like the 150 range because their range of outcomes is you know, a top 50 player or completely dropped within two months. So they're going to sandwich them in somewhere around pick 150. Like they're just landing on that saying like, oh, he's old. He may get injured, which is fair. But I'm I'm counting on him to start, you know, almost every single game next year, which maybe is foolish. But I mean, he did that for five consecutive years before his injury. So, yeah. And it's it's one of those where my pitching is also being projected higher than it will be. I'm going to be right near the top in ERA and whip bottom and saves K's I'm going to be mid to competitive and wins uh, probably mid to competitive but other than that uh, I see myself competitive at least in my league which should put me higher on the overall Um, a couple notable contributors of ours on the website Andrew with Fantasy Aid 1 he is projected at 129 overall and in his league he's projected for ninth. And James Cubby Knoll, he is projected at 165, one slot ahead of me, and also projected 14th in your league, Keith, in League 13. That's right. We're going 1-2 with this thing. 1-2. Flip that standings and go 1-2. All right, guys. Well, it's been fun to explore our invitational teams. And at this point, it's time to sign off. So where can the people find you? What articles do you have coming up? Anything to plug, Todd? You can find me at Goldie Happens on Twitter. And I'm hoping to get an article out this week. All right. Check it out at Fantasy underscore Keith. I am currently writing my bold predictions. And that'll be probably released by the time this podcast comes out and joey gallo by the way is going to hit 50 home runs is that a lot that's a lot and i am phil and and i'm at the baseball (laughs) jedi all right i have been jeremy you can find me at front office jer follow the podcast at fan front office find us at our home on the web fanfrontofficepodcast.com We just dropped an article this morning, a staff article from a couple of our contributors on guys to look out for this spring and hoping to have a few more coming out this week. And until next week, it's draft season, baby. 